Good morning. Good morning. That uh, song, I could hardly sing any of it, and uh, puts a lot of pressure on me, because if you can't preach after that song, you just can't preach. <laughs> so, uh, I teased Patrick this morning. He had asked me to preach some weeks ago, and uh, then I saw him greeting people at the morning, and so he's here. So what's up with that? <laughs> and the horrible thought occurred, Jeff Walling preached last week. <laughs> so thanks, Patrick. <laughs> because most sermons you'll probably remember till Sunday afternoon, maybe, if it's a good one. But you'll remember Jeff Walling for a week. And so, you know... Anyway, it'll be okay. You've forgotten him by next Sunday, probably. <laughs> Tomorrow is uh, Memorial Day, a day in our nation uh, to remember those who have died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. I'm thankful for those who have. My father served in World War II. He was a tail gunner on a B-25. He didn't talk much about it, and uh, people from that era often didn't. But I want us to take a moment this morning to uh, pause for you to express thanks for anyone you are grateful for who serves others, whether military or police or teachers, whether it be checkout clerks, doctors, nurses, garbage collectors, ministers, politicians, drug truck drivers, plumbers, lawyers, mothers, fathers grandparents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the millions of people that devote their lives to blessing others, often taking on hardship and challenges in order to do good. We pray your blessings upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 uh, today. If you'd like to turn your Bibles there, uh, we're going to have it also up on the screen this morning as well. I want to start off in a sort of a, uh, as my take, as sort of a, a bit of a somber way as I often do but uh, just because I've been thinking about our world a lot and I often feel a bit overwhelmed by the complexity and confusion in our world and I've felt that way a lot recently. I'm confused by our national politics on all sides. I'm distressed at Russia's invasion of Ukraine I haven't seen anything like this since 1962. That'll date me some. Actually, it just turned 70 last week, which I'm not sure how that happened, but at any rate. I was 10 years old in 1962 at the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that was a pretty scary time. We just didn't know if the U.S. and Russia were going to start shooting nuclear missiles at one another. The war in Ukraine uh, will probably result in more food shortages in regions that are in most danger of famine already. 
Continued mass shootings and either our will or ability to respond seems limited. The optimism of achieving the American dream seems to be greatly diminished for many. Purchasing a home has become incredibly difficult for many. COVID is increasing a week again. Uh, this week I talked to a medical professional in Duluth and uh, they had 100 staff out on Friday. I sometimes feel like churches are treading water and I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference either. And then there is monkeypox. <laughs> are you kidding me? Monkeypox. I just kind of have to, it may be ter uh, it's terrible, but I'm, I, it's, it's, it's like somebody inserted something in the news feed, like, let's just throw a little humor in there that we're being attacked by monkeypox. And it's like, whatever, you know. You may not have any signs of depression or feel despair, but some of you do. If you do, you want to listen carefully this morning because there is hope. Several years ago, I began wondering if there was a book of the Bible that addresses our circumstances. In fact, there are many. You could almost open the Bible and go there. But one I had not studied in depth was Isaiah, and so I spent two years in Isaiah studying and praying and teaching, reading, meditating. And the section we're going to consider this morning is a time in Judah's life when the people have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Depending how you frame this out, that's about two or three generations. And now those generations have never seen the promised land. They have never seen Jerusalem. They've never seen the temple. Of course, it's gone and Jerusalem's level. But they've only had stories about the glories of that time. And the Jewish people are either incredibly discouraged and believe God has abandoned them and feel hopeless, or they have given up being a distinctive people in the land. And they have adapted, they've accommodated to the culture in Babylon, doing the best they can, in some cases probably doing well by materially. I mean, these are resilient people that know how to adjust. Functionally, it was a time when most people were living without any kind of reference to Yahweh, the God of Israel. The powerful Babylonians had their own gods, all kinds of gods, and lived in naive arrogance that they were in control of their own destiny and the destiny of the world. The people of Israel lived in despair of being in subjection to a cruel nation and they lived as though Yahweh was either unable or unwilling to rescue. So Babylonian arrogance and Israeli despair. Sound familiar? Maybe it does. It does to me. Because God's people have always been tempted to either believe that God isn't, there isn't much hope for God's movement or present deliverance in the present time, and therefore just, you know, they just begin through going through the motions of a religion. They keep doing the rituals, but there's no faith or hope. Or believe resistance to a pagan culture isn't worth the effort, and so accommodate to pagan values and know that, notice that it can be quite beneficial actually. It's not difficult to become depressed or apathetic when God seems to be silent and inactive in our lives. The rates of depression and suicide and opioid use in our nation 
is staggering. Our country needs, our churches need many things. But I'm pretty certain, I believe, near the top is a word of hope. Isaiah provides a word of hope to his people in such circumstances, whether the empire is arrogant, when the empire was arrogant and Israel was in despair. What is the word of hope? We'll begin in Isaiah 40, verse 1. The first thing it brings, this message brings, that our ultimate future depends not on our resources, but upon the resolve of God, the determination, the will of God, and the character of God. And so there is this voice in the heavens speaking perhaps to a prophet or to the people, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort them. Bring a message of comfort to those who are downtrodden. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's an idiom that means it's over. The punishment's over. From the heavenly council, there is this there are these scenes in Isaiah where it's just not God, but there's a whole heavenly council gathered around uh, whoever all these beings are, and, and God sends forth a message of comfort that soon he will intervene. I, isn't that great news? I mean, wouldn't that have been great news to these people? I just, to hear that, hear the prophet come and speak that. If you've lived long enough and faced enough trials, you know, I hope you know, you are not smart enough or strong enough to fix everything that is wrong. And if our world and the church depend only on our own resolve and our competence, then there is a reason for despair. But if our future lies not in ourselves or in this world, but in power from outside the world, the prophet is calling the Jewish people to realize there is no hope coming from this world. It will only be when the Messiah appears, when the God himself appears. The promise in the future rests in the love of God who wants to comfort and speak tenderly to his people and rescue them. I hope we've been had some sense recently of God speaking tenderly to us, have you? Secondly, there is this glorious future proclaimed a voice, one calling, in the wilderness, you prepare the way for the Lord. The desert, the wilderness, is a place that is a place where God meets his people, where he joins them. And then what you do is you make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level in the rugged places of plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed in this journey. God will appear. And all the people will see it together because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's will is that after this time of discipline, he desires to rescue his people and bring them home. God may punish to get our attention, but is prepare us to accept his love. So the future rests, rests in God's care for his children. Uh, it's natural, isn't it, just to be reminded of 
wow, uh, God will one day lead his people into a victory parade. This, this language, uh, it, it's sort of remarkable in a way because in that day, what they did, if there were, a king had had a victory over another kingdom, then they would build a road. They would build a road for the parade. That's why a lot of the roads, reason those roads were made. And so this imagery is that you build a road for the king because he's coming and he will deliver you back to the promised land. I just love that, our, our task. And so that's what's happening. God will lead his people in this victorious celebration. It's natural for us to think about when Jesus returns and we will be join him in a great banquet. We'll join him in this great homecoming and live with him forever and all our troubles will be over. And that's why Christians in difficult times often sing songs of Jesus' return in heaven. Those songs remind us that this world is not our home, but we have a better and permanent home to look forward to. And then third, what about the time between now and God's rescue? Verses 6 through 8, there is a work for us to do and a mission. So there is this voice, there's a dialogue that goes on here, and you can't see it easily uh, in, your, in your Bibles because it doesn't break it out very well for us. But here's what I think is happening. So there's a voice coming from heaven, <clears throat> and it says, cry out. So we have a message, a challenge. And what should we cry out? And the prophet says, well, what, what should I say? What should I cry out? And then it appears he offers a bunch of excuses, which is familiar <laughs> of prophets, isn't it? I mean, you think of Moses and others, Gideon, you know, he says... Uh, you know, uh, the people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. And like the grass, it withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. That's how people all are. They're like grass. They barely last a summer. And... Uh, so the prophet's assessment is that people are frail and fickle. And it's unlikely, that being the case, given the people's past, they will respond even to such a glorious message. They just won't hear it. They haven't been hearing it. So to put it in contemporary terms, can mere words be sufficient to make the mission successful when those who receive the words are so resistant and inconsistent? What power do mere words have against the forces in this world? That's the prophet's question. Surprisingly, the voice from heaven does not disagree with the prophet's assessment. That's, I, I, I don't know whether that's funny or what, but it's just like I'm expecting the voice representing God is going to say, that, that is not true, you cynic. You're just a pathetic prophet and you have such a bad attitude because you people think people are frail and fickle. The voice doesn't disagree with the prophet. Rather, he says, the grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall. People are frail and fickle, but it doesn't make any difference because there's something greater than that. It is because the word of our God endures forever. 
The word is that the word on people's frailty and fickleness is not the last word. Rather, the last word, enduring word, the word that lasts this, past this earth, is from the word from God. And so we have the promise that even in the worst and, and least promising circumstances, the word of God will prevail. Is that good news? I mean, that's just fantastic. I just love it. Aren't we glad that the mission doesn't entirely depend upon us? And what is the thrust of the message? You who bring good news to Zion up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. The message is good news. It's going to be great news. And if the good news doesn't predominate in our teaching and preaching, we're just uh, limiting what it is, skewing what it should be. The message is good news, and because it's good news, we should not be afraid, and we ought to be telling it everywhere because we have good news of hope for people. Our message is not one of oppression and misery, but life and joy and peace. And what ultimately, fundamentally, is the message? I, I think this is just fascinating. To the towns of Judah, you tell the people, Behold your God. See your God. Look at God. That's the basic it. That's basically it. How incredible. Behold your God. See your God. Look at God. That's that is an essence about the character and nature of God. And why is it true? Because of how wonderful he is. There are two characteristics mentioned here. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. He rules with a mighty army. His reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He is mighty as a warrior, the most powerful warrior. The word sovereign in scripture means that he is in charge of all the armies of heaven. He's the general. He is the king in charge. And then, but he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I grew up on a, a sheep ranch, and so this time of year we have, uh, it's lambing season, have lots of lambs, and uh, they're just the cutest things. And uh, in the spring, you know, sun comes out and it's warm, they're jumping around, they're playing with one another, they're being scamps and all those kind of things. And then sometimes one gets out and, you know, you, you catch it and you just, you just bundle it up and carry it back and uh, you just hold it close. It's the neatest thing. And that's a picture of Jesus with his people. He's so powerful and yet so gentle. And so this strong warrior picks up his people and holds us close to himself and he leads them gently he gently leads those that have young the mamas he gently leads the mamas and holds the young close God is more than able to win any victory and bring his people home and he leads them the procession will be one in which he gently leads us 
So Yahweh is mighty and gentle. That imagery is carried throughout the Bible. So when you get to the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is, is the one with, uh, with a mighty sword coming out of his mouth. He's also the lamb that dies for the sins of the world. And so you have both of these images. One of the great themes in Isaiah, in fact, the whole Bible is the need for people of God to see God. And when we don't see God or we forget who God is, we easily slip into apathy or despair or superficial religion or an uncritical embrace of the culture. But abiding in God's word, praising God, encouraging the people of God, watching for God's often subtle, subtle movements, keep, we keep seeing God. This is one of the greatest needs in every generation. Then the prophet pounds away at how incomparable God is, Yahweh is, verses 12 through 26. I'm going to leave that for you to read. But then there's a challenge to Israel's complaints. They're, <laughs> uh, they're complaining all the time. And uh, reminds me of me. Uh, so God says to them, why, do you, why are you complaining? Why are you complaining, Jacob? And, and why, why do you have all this murmuring going around uh, you, uh, about me uh, and say, my, our way is hidden from the Lord. You're, you haven't done anything for 70 years. We're hidden uh, and, and you disregard our need. Why? Why? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. And he increases the strength of power of the weak and then he recognized the normalcy that even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who, what? Hope. Those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like, wings like eagles. They run and go, do not grow weary. They walk and don't faint. So there's acknowledgement that growing tired is common. And then there is promise that God will be active in the present for those who are worn out and feeling hopeless. So there is a source of strength beyond ourselves and outside this world. It comes to those who eagerly wait for hope in the Lord. Over the years, I've become tired and depressed when my focus has been on my own strength, own strength or the <laughs> response of others. Uh, did you know that people are not good sources of hope. Anybody? That was just a really brutal awakening for me. Still sometimes is. And then I realized I'm not a very good source of hope either. I'm fickle. I am frail. And others are often frail and fickle. But God, the Father, the Son, and Spirit are more powerful than any other force in the universe. And they have the last word. They will lead their people in a glorious, victorious, victorious homecoming. I believe, I think I've preached this for 40 years, I suppose, but I just, I just believe right now there is window of opportunity for the people of God to be purveyors of hope. That that message is absolutely, definitely, desperately needed in our world.
Do you believe that? I've always believed that, but I don't know if I've ever felt it so strongly. I really mean this. I could go on and on, and I want to be careful and sensitive here, and uh, th th this doesn't come across in any kind of self-righteous way, but, but we have people taking their lives. One of the most dramatic didn't take his life, but he's Michael Phelps, who thankfully has shared his struggle with depression. He's an Olympic swimmer. You probably all know who he is. He's the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time, with a total of 28 medals. Phelps holds all-time records for Olympic gold medals, 23 Olympic gold medals in individual events, 13 Olympic medals in individual events. And I assume, although I've never seen it, in the old days they used to, you know, Olympics, they put on a box of Wheaties, right? I, did he make it? I assume he did. I don't, there's something wrong with Wheaties if they didn't get him on there. But he has struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. And I'm just, you know, I'm enough of a sportsman. I cannot imagine anything better than being the best Olympian of all time. What could be better than that? From, uh, you know, this earth. I just can't imagine that. How, how could you not be from then on just happy all the time? I mean, you know, you could be on talk shows and just impressing people with stuff uh, that you know nothing about <laughs> just because you've done that. You know, what do you think about nuclear science? Oh, you could just, you know, you could talk about anything because people believe you, you know. Sorry for that smart remark there, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And on and on. So, and I'm thankful he's sharing his struggle with it. And, uh, but, but we have a world in despair. I just hope we know that. How to explain except that this world does not offer enough treasure to fill our hearts. Only God can do that. And I don't want to make that too simple. But there is a lie that everybody else in the world but you is doing fantastic. Did you know that's not true? I even thought about asking this morning, and then I thought better of it. Is there anybody whose life is just going fantastic, and, and it's always going well, and you expect to go perfectly in the future? Would you come up so we can cheer for you? <laughs> and then I thought, if there's somebody that, uh, what would it be? Clueless. <laughs> I, I, I didn't plan what I was going to say there, so I, I, <laughs> there's a better word for that. Unawares, clueless, that's, you know, that's my world vocabulary. Uh, then, then you would be mad at him. I was afraid you'd start throwing your communion cups at him. <laughs> but I, in 70 years, I've never felt so strongly that people are needing a word from of hope. And hope, hope is this anchor and message of our souls. And so the prophet's word to discourage Israel, behold your God. And that's what we do, you know, in small groups or preaching and teaching, uh, fellowship, uh, and what worship is often about is to remind us of who God is and to get our focus back on him and to say, behold your God, he's coming soon. 
He's powerful enough to deliver from the greatest empire in the world. He's kind enough to care about even the most broken, frail, and fickle. He's coming for you, and he can sustain you till the end. I've got a couple more comments here. Some group praise team want to come up, and I'll uh, mention a couple other things. Oh. Uh, I just want to tell you that I have struggled with depression off and on at times and suicidal thoughts. And somehow, with the help of a good wife and good friends, I made it through. But looking back 20 years, I was closer to the edge than I knew. And I don't, I say that because for anybody here that's hurting, I just, uh, you can call and talk with me or, or others, elders, wives, or friends or something. I, I just want to urge you to, to get help and, and share. And that's, that's what a church ought to be. I'm telling you. It, it's not that, I, I think the idea that, the, that, that we're supposed to be all perfect here and all that kind of business, not that anybody here is promoting that, but sometimes it's just in the soup. And uh, that's just false. I'm telling you, that's false. There is not a person in this room that doesn't have some brokenness, one form or another. But help is not coming primarily from this world. It only comes from the Lord, our God. And I think we know that. But we just need to be reminded of it.